hope. That's a commonly used word around here. I hope my football team wins the Super Bowl. I hope Johnny asked me to prom. I hope it snows today so I don't have to go to school. I hope I get that job. I get that raise. I pass the test. I score the winning point. I get the car. I don't have to kiss Ann Hilga at Thanksgiving. More seriously, I hope my friend gets better. I hope I do something great with my life. I hope one day there's world peace. Hope. We say it and we hear it all the time. And I don't want to trivialize it or disregard the aforementioned. But honestly, those are temporary things and they're uncertain at best. It's not that they aren't real or that they're wrong. But let's be honest. If your team doesn't win, Johnny doesn't ask you to prom. If it doesn't snow, you don't get that job or the raise or pass the test. If you don't get the car and Ann Hilga happens to smack a big wet one on you, you're going to get through it. And even if your friend doesn't get better, you don't do something great with your life. And even even if there's never world peace, all of the outcomes are uncertain. And whether they happen or not, the way you want doesn't really change much in the grand scheme of things because it's all temporary. In the grand scheme of eternity, temporary hopes seem frivolous. See, hope in all the above scenarios is nothing more than a wish, like crossing your fingers, closing your eyes, and saying out loud, I hope I get that raise, I hope I get that raise, I hope I get that raise, is actually going to make a difference. I mean, you don't know what's actually going to happen at all, right? Yet we wish. We click our ruby heels together, we rub the rabbit's foot and avoid walking under ladders and all that, and we slowly open our eyes to see if the wish came true. Well, let me make a quick distinction. There are things we all hope for in the wishing sense, and then there are things we place our hope in. So can we really call uncertain, confidence-lacking, rolling the dice, closing your eyes, ruby-clicking, rabbit-foot-rubbing, wishful-thinking hope? Is that what hope is all about? And can we really place our hope in looks or fame or money or power? Shouldn't true hope, ultimate hope, eternal hope be based on truth, facts, something more than a wish, something I can know, be certain of, be confident in? I mean, if that kind of hope exists, then it can change us, encourage us, remove fear, relieve doubt, give us strength and get us through anything, give meaning and purpose to everybody, help us love more, understand more, forgive more, accept more, and it can inspire us to share the source of said hope to anybody and everybody. If that kind of hope exists, it changes everything. So does it exist? Yes, and I'll be blunt. It's only found in Jesus Christ because he is the way, the hope, and the life. All other hope is temporary, uncertain, wishful thinking at best. Oh, come on. What if I hope that every little thing's going to be all right? Or we all just become non-existent when we die? Or that I'll get to heaven because I, I lived a good life? Well, rub the rabbit's foot and roll the dice, Jimmy. Those are uncertain wishes based on flimsy guesses. First Timothy 2.5.6 declares, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. John 3.6. 16 states, whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life, which is why Paul confidently wrote in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Without Christ, we are still dead in our trespasses and separated from God, which makes us godless and wicked. And Job chapter 27, verse 8 says, For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? Without Christ, there is no real hope, period. So do me a favor and finish this sentence. I place all my hope in blank. If Jesus isn't in that blank, you have no hope. That pretty much covers it, folks, and I think we can safely say that this thought, this concept, this idea that you can have true hope without God has been debunked. Adios. Our hope is in Christ. For our guests here today, the uh, Student Government Association selected a passage from the book of Hebrews as our verse for the year, Hebrews 10. And... uh, so I preached from that at my first message, and as I finished that message, I realized we should stay with the book of Hebrews, because as I was focusing on that text in Hebrews 10, we noticed, beginning in verse 22, that it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for, we, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on in toward love and good needs. And in that text, we see that the writer to the Hebrews is calling the community to be a community of faith, hope, and love. 
So last time I spoke, we talked about faith, and uh, it was just, we can say it's a coincidence. I didn't tell Amanda what I was preaching on. I didn't know what Amanda was preaching on, and I preached from Hebrews 11, and then the next Wednesday, when Amanda, Pastor Amanda Cash was here, she preached from Hebrews 11 as well and talked about faith. So today I want to talk about hope, and we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. And the reason that I ask you to stand is in respect and reverence to the word of God. That as the word of God is proclaimed, we recognize that it is the holy word of God on which we place our foundation of authority, life, and living. And in respect and reverence to the word of God, I ask you to stand at this time as we read from it. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Therefore... Holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything." Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, your word's been spoken. We have sung praises to your name. We have been reminded that our hope must be in Christ. And as we hear from you this morning, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As you may remember in the book of Hebrews, it is a letter by someone that was once part of the church, possibly the founder of the church. We don't know who it was or who wrote it. We know more about the circumstances of why the letter was written than we know who actually wrote the letter. And it was a church that was one time very strong and their faith was deep and their love for God was profound and their love for others was was deep and profound as well. They had a hope and a passion, but now it seems the writer is very concerned that they have lost that passion, that they have lost that love, that their hope is starting to waver, that their commitment in following Christ has has started to go in another direction. So this letter is written to try to encourage them and spur them on. At times, some very challenging words are proclaimed by the writer of uh, Hebrews. And in this passage, in chapter 3, the writer is taking a turn to make probably the most powerful point, as the whole letter will now shift after these first six verses in Hebrews chapter 3. And as the focus shifts, he's reminding us, I assume, I shouldn't assume it's a he, could have been a woman who wrote the book of Hebrews, but whoever the writer was, the, the, the focus shifts, and they remind us of two things here in these six verses. The writer is reminding us who we are, and the writer is reminding us who Jesus is. So let's look to see who you are. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are one who has put your faith in Christ, we see it in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you are holy. You are holy. Whether you feel like it, whether you think that you are, whether you recognize it or not, you are a follower of Christ, you are holy, God declares it. So it doesn't matter what other people say about you. It doesn't matter what other people proclaim about you on social media, whether they put their name to it or do it anonymously. You are holy. Let no one else define you. You are a holy child of God. So at the very first sentence, the writer is reminding them, holy brothers and sisters. And if you are holy, you must be holy as God is holy and live a holy life. 
live a life of holiness. So we here at ENC, we, we try to live into that and we try to model that and demonstrate that and, and do it in big and small ways. And I know, I know it's difficult, as busy as professors are, to make it to chapel, but this morning, uh, my, my son is sick, so my wife stayed home and I'm sitting here on the pew by myself in the front pew and I'm feeling lonely, you know. And then Dr. Restria, yeah, thank you. And I see Dr. Restra comes walking in and he's reminding me as he sat with me and, uh, that I appreciate faculty's commitment to Christ. And I know they can't be here for every chapel, but it is an encouragement to you when you see them worshiping with us. They're living out their faith in front of us, certainly not just in chapel, but in the classroom and in community. And staff members as well. They are living a holy life in front of you, demonstrating and modeling what that should be. So you are holy. Don't ever think otherwise about yourself. Don't ever think less of yourself. Holy brothers and sisters. And this is a church that's a bit in crisis. I mean, the writer to the Hebrews is is recognizing that they're starting to waver, yet he still refers to them as holy brothers and sisters in Christ who share in the heavenly calling. We are part of the family of God, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ who share in the heavenly calling. This is not our home. We are a family. You've been adopted in the family of God. Now I recognize... That we got some strange brothers and sisters in Christ. And for those of you who are laughing, you're probably one of them. But that's besides the point. But we are part of the family of God. So when maybe your friends abandon you, or maybe even your earthly family may hurt you. You are part of God's family. You are holy. The church is holy. The community is holy. So the writer to the, to, of this book of Hebrews is saying, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Have, have your whole life, your whole being directed to how Jesus wants you to live. Not how others want you to live. Not on the pressures you feel of what people are expecting of you or what people may think of you, how you are to live. But fix your thoughts on Jesus and how Jesus and what Jesus is calling you to live out and proclaim. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Live a life of faith and put your hope in Christ. The writer is reminding them who they are. They are holy. They are part of the family of God. This is not our home. We are part of a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly home. So let us fix our thoughts on that and place our hope in that. Not only that, the writer of this book of Hebrews is not only reminding them who they are, he's reminding them who Jesus is. Now we can't even, I cannot overstate how radical this statement is that is being made to Jewish Christians to compare Jesus to Moses and say that Jesus is far greater. To us, we miss that, but it is a radical and profound statement that is being written, especially to these first century Jewish Christians. That Moses was faithful, it's not disparaging Moses at all, it's not putting Moses down at all. Moses was faithful as a servant. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's household. Moses was a servant, but Jesus was the son. Moses was a servant, but Jesus was the son. So Jesus was over the household as Moses served the household. And so the writer is concerned that they're starting to maybe drift away, starting to go into a different direction. So he's reminding them, don't forget how beautiful and powerful and wonderful Jesus is. Don't forget who Jesus is. Don't forget that you are holy, that you are part of the family of God. 
And that Jesus, and earlier in the book, it talks how Jesus is greater than angels and greater than prophets. And now saying greater than Moses, which again, a radical statement. So put your faith in God. Don't waver. Don't turn back now. Christ is faithful as the Son of God over God's house. So don't forget who you are. You are holy. Don't forget that you are part of the family of God. Don't forget who Jesus is. The Son of God over the house of God. And the house of God that Moses was over is not referring to the tent. It's referring to the people of God. And you are part of the house of God, the people of God. And Jesus is over the house of God. Verse 6. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. If we hold on to the hope in which we glory. So where do you place your hope this morning? Where do you place your hope? Earlier this week, we were, several of us were serving dinner at the Long Island Homeless Shelter. And there's usually a rush for the first 45 minutes. There's usually a line as we walk in. And then after that, buses come in every 15 minutes. And as the winter months uh, come and as the temperature gets colder and the nights get darker, the lines will be longer and they'll be, they could serve as many as 600 people. But right about now, we're serving between probably 350 and 400 a night. And after an hour had passed, several of us were on the line and I was standing there next to uh, uh, Stacy, and I, I'm not going to mention her last name, Eklund. I was standing next to Stacy <laughs> and Dolly, and I won't mention Dolly's last name, Southern. And as I was standing there, I uh, was thinking, hey, I'll, we'll get out of here about 7 o'clock. we get back about 7.15 after I drop them off. Maybe I can go for a run, but it was downpouring. This was Wednesday night. So I turned to, to Dolly and Stacy. I said, hey, what time does the Y close? And they both look at me and start laughing. And Stacy says, why do you work out? (laughs) Dolly's laughing hysterically in the corner. But my response to that question wasn't the same as yours just now, I tell you that. Stacey, does that, does that surprise you? No, 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 no. Oh, I could go so many directions right now, but I'll refrain. But as I get older, need to stay in shape. All right, I'm not in shape, but I need to get in shape. But my body will get older and frail. And no matter how hard I try, death is approaching. (laughs) I'm really bothered by how hard everyone's laughing about this right now. (laughs) Now listen, I know not to swim at the Y. All right, I get that. I know I shouldn't do that. We don't. I don't need to like take my shirt off and have people vomiting by the pool. I understand that. (laughs) And I know you take pictures and put it on Facebook. I get it. I get it. But some of us older people do try to work out, try to be good stewards of our health. But you know, no matter how hard I work out and no matter, no matter how good shape I try to stay in, I will be aging. And I can't put my faith in the fact that I'll always be healthy. Or that my health will always be with me. 
And some of you have family members, maybe you yourself are already in the midst of that. You understand that. That we really can't put our hope in our health. And that all will always be well. While we were pastoring on Long Island, we never thought, and some of you know this story, we never thought we'd own a building. We were renting some, a church. Uh, it was actually the oldest, it was the, it was the very first Jewish temple on Long Island. And, um, and now we were renting it on, on Sundays as our church. And to buy an acre of land on the north shore of Long Island was well over a million dollars. So you understand my surprise when I received a letter in the mail that said the Christian Science Church on Nichols Road is for sale and five acres, a sanctuary that seats 200 and an education space and for $1.5 million on five acres of land, building everything. Now, we only had 30 or 40 people. We didn't have that kind of money. And um, the reason it was so low is because there was a covenant on the property that said only, only places of worship, only religious institutions can own this property, which is why it was more affordable than what the average price per acre of land would be. And we didn't have that money, but I made a call to Olathe College Church of the Nazarene, and the pastor there at that time said, Corey, give me a few days, uh, let me call you back. And Dr. War called back and said, Corey, Olathe College Church will buy the church for you. We will put our name on the mortgage. We will be responsible for the mortgage. What we need you to do is find a daycare that can rent the education space. And as they rent the education space, they can pay the mortgage. And then as the church grows, maybe, maybe, he said, we can discuss about you helping us with the down payment. But don't worry about that. We will cover the down payment. We will put our name on it. We will take care of everything. You just make sure the mortgage is covered by finding a daycare. Well, on that same, uh, there were 40 acres of land on Nichols Road that, were, that had this covenant of religious, uh, religious property. A temple owned some of the property. A Universalist Unitarian Fellowship owned some, some land. And the Universalist Unitarian Fellowship was actually right next to this Christian Science Church. And they had a daycare. And someone called me from the daycare and said, I heard you're interested in the property next door. Our daycare has gotten too big for the Universalist Fellowship. Can we look at the property you're considering buying? I said, no, you can't. No, of course. I said, yes, please. I've been looking for a group like this. We toured the property and they said, Corey, we will take this. If you purchase this building, we will take this. Called the realtor to put the offer down and to purchase the building. And the realtor said, Corey, I'm so sorry. We sold the building yesterday. Yesterday. And I was crushed. I cannot even articulate how devastating that is because we recognize that we would never probably, outside the grace of God, ever own property. The church is still going, still in the old Shalom Hall and uh, doing well, but not owning their own property. And I know the Bible says Jesus was a Nazarene, but I'm pretty sure that God belongs to the Assembly of God Church because they're the ones that got the property. And it was very, very difficult for quite some time, just for us personally. And it took me about a year, but I really, honestly, I can tell you and promise you from the bottom of my heart, I came to the point of giving God praise that a church that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ got the property and is still there today. And I give God praise for that. But I'll never forget the first Sunday I couldn't even preach. A retired Methodist minister was... Uh, part of our congregation, and he's been an incredible mentor to me, and I hope to introduce him to you one day this year. And I'll never, I said, John Paul, I can't preach. I, I just, I mean, well, not that day. Well, maybe I can any time. I don't know. But I said, John Paul, I can't preach. I can't preach this Sunday. 
And I'll never forget the title of his message. The hope for our church is not in a building. The hope for our church is not in a building. And he was right. The hope for our church was always in Christ. The hope for our church is always in Christ. And the hope for you and your walk with Christ is not in a relationship. The hope for you is not in getting a degree, and though I hope you give your degree back to God as an act of worship. And I will confess that I'm a little concerned that some of your faith, for some of you, and I'm not thinking of anyone specific, I just mean as chaplain, I've seen it and was guilty of it myself as a student, for a little while anyway, that my faith was dependent upon the one I was dating. If she was spiritual, you know I was spiritual. I loved, I loved Marion's, I loved Marion's example when uh, he asked his wife out, you know, if she'd go to a party, and she's like, I don't go to parties. He's like, oh, you want to go to Campus Crusade? He got spiritual real quick. <laughs> our faith should never be dependent upon the one we're dating. Our hope for our relationship in Christ should never be dependent upon the one we're dating. Our hope must always be in Christ. So the hope for our health and our future is not in how healthy we are or how hard we work or what resources we attain. The hope for the church is not in buildings or resources. The hope is in Christ. And the hope for your walk in your life is always in Christ. So don't put your hope in another person or in resources or in buildings or political and social ideologies. None of those are bad in and of themselves. But our hope is always in Christ. And that is what the writer is trying to remind them throughout this book. I know you're starting to compromise. I know you're starting to go in another direction. I know you're starting to question your faith and your commitment to Christ. But never forget that Christ is our hope. Our eternal hope is in Christ. Our eternal hope is in Christ. And maybe some of you have recited this in in your church. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And he's reminding them that our hope is in Christ who is over the house of God. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And we can be assured and know for a fact that when this life ends, and when, no matter how hard I work out, I will eventually pass away. Or maybe Christ will come before them, but Christ will return. Christ will return. And in that we can place our hope. But I want to encourage you today that it's in the same way our salvation is not just about getting our sins forgiven and being saved. That's not what it means to live the Christian life. Is that a part of it? Yes. Is it significant? In the main part, yes. We can be forgiven. We can be made right with God. We can be holy and be in eternity with Jesus for all of eternity. Be in heaven for all of eternity. But now we're supposed to live out this Christian life every day, this holy living. You are holy brothers and sisters of God, so be holy. And in the same way, our hope in Jesus is not just for eternity. Though it is, Christ will return. It is also our hope for the present. It is our hope for the present because no one else can make you holy but God. So be holy. Put your hope in God. God brings you into the house of God, part of the family of God. Put your hope in that. You see, to have your hope in Christ, you must first have your faith in Christ. 
So put your faith in Christ and you will have your hope in Christ and then you can live out and proclaim the love of Christ. So put your hope in Christ. Don't put it in another person or resource or building. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as the writer to this this church that is questioning their faith and maybe they have felt pressure from family or friends or maybe ones in their own school that they've started to compromise their faith. Maybe they've started to become ashamed of the one they have their faith in. Maybe they started to become embarrassed because they recognize that maybe they're outsiders and not everyone believes the same. If any of us in this room today are like that, Lord, may we rededicate and recommit our faith in following and serving you and make us holy, we pray. And may we never forget that our hope is always in Christ. Our hope is in the fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins and that we can be made right with God. As the writer reminds us, Jesus is our high priest. And now we have access to God through the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Christ has died. And we have hope because Christ is risen. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. Death has been defeated. So when death comes, we can have this hope that Christ is risen. We can be assured that Christ will come again. So let us put our faith and our hope in Christ. And so we sing a song of praise as we do at the end of many chapels, giving you praise and recognizing the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all good blessings that we receive. So we stand and sing, praise God tell you how good you sound on that every time that's beautiful go in peace to love god and serve others you are dismissed